Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 23. If you're using the Pew Bible, that is found on page 20. We will be considering the entirety of the chapter, that is Genesis chapter 23. Please follow along as I read God's holy word. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went, Abraham went into mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zophar, Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in and out of the city, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, In the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered, Abraham, my lord, Listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So the field of Ephraim in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that is in, in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word. Father, we know that only your spirit can make this time fruitful and profitable for our souls. Father, we are under no impression that by the uh, my own abilities that this word can become efficacious in our hearts. So therefore, Father, we pray 
that you would, by your Spirit, impress the truths that are contained herein, deepen our souls, that we may hear your word and heed its admonition and warning. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would use this time and cause it to be a blessing to this congregation. Father, we uh, ask these things and we entrust the following minutes to your care. It is through Christ we pray. Amen and amen. For those who know a little bit about me, you, you'd know that I grew up uh, in a town, a small town, about half hour west of Cleveland, Ohio. And having been born near Cleveland, Ohio, I became a fan of all the Cleveland sports teams. And the only exciting moment in the history of the sports in Cleveland in the last 50 years was the championship won by the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016. It was a hard year, and the Cavs were down three games to one in the finals. And they were playing arguably the best team in the history of the NBA, and they won the championship. After 50 years, the city of Cleveland was a city of champion, and we celebrated that triumph. However, after we celebrated and cherished this long-awaited trophy, the following day, everything went back to normal. Why is it that after we win, after waiting for the championship these many years, everything is normal? Shouldn't that indicative that we won a championship change our lives? It did. We were a city of champions. We won an NBA title. We beat the best team probably in the history of the NBA. But it's weird because life went on as normal. Have you ever had a similar experience in your life where you've anticipated something, you've worked at something a long time, you've achieved it, and you think that the euphoria of achieving it would last a very long time? But after achieving, maybe it was your undergraduate degree, or maybe it was acquiring a possession that you had saved up a lot of money to get. Once you acquire it, whether the diploma or the possession, after that, life returns to normal. And the reason why life returns to normal is because the success of particular events, monumental events in our lives, they're not meant to last the euphoria that you get from it, the, the excitement that you get for, from it is not meant to last forever. It's only a prelude or an indicative of what can happen next. The Cavs winning in 2016 indicated that they could potentially win in 2017. You getting your undergraduate, undergraduate degree indicates that there's a potential to achieve a master's. Every Success and monumental achievement foreshadows forward of things to come. In this text here that we have read this morning, we get a glimpse, I think, of what it is of faithful discipleship. You see, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, 
what chapters 12 to 22 of Genesis have been leading up to is the birth of Isaac. All the trials and turmoils. You get uh, chapter 15 when Abraham doesn't know who the heir is going to be. And he thinks it's going to be Eliezer of Damascus. And God tells him, no, it's going to be his own heirs, a son of his own loins. And then uh, Sarah tries to help God out. And Hagar becomes pregnant by Abraham. And again and again, what you see is uh, a lot of turmoil, a lot of pain, a lot of uh, difficult circumstances in the life of this family. And it's all leading up to the crescendo that we find with Isaac coming and then Isaac potentially being offered as a sacrifice. But finally, at the end of chapter 22, what we get is that Abraham, that Isaac is here to stay. The heir is here. The promised seed has arrived. And in a sense, Abraham has lived all this time longing for this moment, for the seed the promised seed to finally arrive. But here in chapter 23, we are post that event. The crescendo has climaxed. And now Abraham returns to living his life ordinarily. This is how a man of faith ordinarily lives his life. So we get a glimpse of what it means to be a faithful disciple. Having observed God's glorious promise being fulfilled, what is Abraham's reaction to that? Abraham. So the admonition that we are taught this morning in our text is that in our ordinary lives, we are to trust God's promises daily. We are to trust God's promises daily. Abraham could have said, that's it. Isaac is here. I'm done. But he doesn't. What we see is post the arrival of God's promised seed, Abraham continues to live a life of trust, of trusting God daily. And how are we supposed to trust God's promises daily? I think we are admonished to do that in two ways. The number one, the first way we are admonished is that we preserve, we persevere day by day. We persevere day by day. And the second way that we trust in God's promises is that we invest into our future by faith. Let us take up our first point. We persevere day by day. And this perseverance is twofold. First, we persevere day by day despite our doubts. If you look at this narrative, um, and if you would read, uh, I'm I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Sarah uh, and her many doubts and her many uh, moments of weaknesses. What we see in the life of Sarah is that she persevered day by day despite her doubts. 
And so are we too are encouraged to persevere day by day despite our doubts. Our verses end, begin and end with the death and burial of Sarah. And we know Sarah's resume. Having been acquainted with Sarah in the previous chapters, we know that she is the Ishmael and Hagar casting out Sarah. She is the laughing at God's promise, Sarah. She is trying to help God, Sarah. She is the doubting Sarah. But here, where does she die? She dies in the land of promise. She dies in Hebron. She died believing God. So we can see that this is not just doubting Sarah. This is the Sarah who, despite her many trials and circumstances, believed God. She had plenty of time to return back to Ur, but the book of Hebrews tells us that she didn't. She stayed faithful, believing God, even though she had messed up many times. Many times she had doubted God's goodness, but here in the end of her life, we find her dying in the land of promise, despite her doubts, her failures, her bitterness, believing not in God's promises, but in herself. Beside all that, we find her dying in the land of promise. It's interesting that in the Bible, we are never called to look at Mary, contrary to the Roman Catholic Church, but we are called to look to Sarah. Isaiah tells us, look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, who bore you. Why? Because they are examples of true faith. True faith is not the absence of doubt. True faith is in spite of the doubt and the failures and the bitterness that sometimes want to embroil our hearts. We continue to trust God. We persevere day by day. Listen to what the Westminster Confession of Faith, how the Westminster Confession of Faith describes perseverance. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. God upheld Sarah. And she persevered day by day despite her doubts. How we continue to trust in God's promises daily is persevering day by day despite our doubts. The second way we persevere in trusting God's promises on a day-to-day basis is we persevere day by day remembering our status. Look at verse 4. How does Abraham describe himself? He says, I am a sojourner. And why does Abraham say that he's a sojourner? Because up until this moment, Abraham had no permanent land. Abraham understood that he was a foreigner, a temporary resident. Abraham Abraham understood that he was traveling through the land, inhabiting in permanent housing. It is interesting that when we look at the scriptures, 
we too are also identified with Abraham and, in, and his sojourning. And Peter uses this similar language, speaking of the Christian church that had been dispersed throughout the peoples of the earth. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary, temporary residents, do not give in to the desires of your old nature, which keeps warring against you. Peter is saying, we as Christians are strangers. And the way we persevere day by day is understanding that the promises that God has for us aren't never fulfilled in this life. Again, that's why the book of Hebrews says that these saints were waiting for a city not built by the hands of men, but a city built by God himself. I remember a friend of mine who came to the United States as an immigrant, and he always felt uncomfortable here. And it wasn't because we didn't try to show him hospitality. It wasn't because he didn't, we didn't try to help him feel comfortable. It's because we are never meant to feel at home in a foreign land. We continue to persevere day by day in faith, continuing to trust God's promises daily, remembering that we are just passing by, that this land, that this life that we live in is temporary, and we set our hopes in the life eternal in the age to come. We are temporary aliens seeking a better land just as Abraham. We trust in God's promises daily by investing. Uh, um, the second point is we trust in, daily in God's promises by investing by faith in our future inheritance. So having seen Sarah's persistent in faith and understanding that Abraham has identified himself as a sojourner, the rest of the chapter is dedicated to this burial, finding a land of burial for Sarah. That is what the rest of the chapter speaks about. Abraham attempting to acquire a property from the Hittites. And it's basically Sarah's burial and, or death is introduced in the first verses, and then it's not mentioned uh, until the end, where it says that Sarah was buried here in this field, in this cave that Abraham purchased. And when we read the, this chapter, there was a repeated theme or a repeated phrase that Abraham would say. Abraham continually referenced the land to belong to who? Not to him, but to the Hittites. He said again and again, this land belongs to you. I'm trying to buy it from you. Please let me buy this land from you. However, Abraham was so sure that even though the land belonged to the Hittites, because of the arrival of Isaac and God commending Abraham for his faith when he attempted to sacrifice Isaac, because Isaac had arrived, the promised seed, and he was here to stay, Abraham decides to purchase land. And he, in verse 8, Abraham tells the Hittites, Give me property among you for a burying place. 
Now, the word here for property in verse 8 is interesting because it's the code word for the promised land. Throughout the first five books of the Bible, that word property, uh, as translated from the Hebrew, is the word that is consistently used as a describer of the promised land. Back in chapter 17, verse 8, God uses this word when he tells Abraham, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land. That's the same word for property, the land of your sojournings. And this is exactly what happens. Another word that we uh, must draw attention to is the word give. That's a key word that Abraham keeps on speaking of again and again. He says, give me the land. And for a modern here, you would think that Abraham is seeking out a freebie. But that word give, in its original context, is a legal term. Abraham is saying, I want to obtain this property. I want verified proof. I want the coordinates of the property. I want everything filled out. I want the auditor's office to know. I want everyone to know that this belongs to me. I want the deed. And that word appears seven times in this narrative. The question that we must ask ourselves is that, why would Abraham buy land that he's going to inherit? Why would someone purchase something that will eventually be theirs? But Abraham insists on buying the land. And we see that in the three movements that occupy the purchase of the land. The first movement is in verse 4, as I alluded to early, he, earlier. He says, give me the property from your land for a burying place. And the Hittites respond in verse 6 and say, Abraham, you're esteemed among us. Just take it. The second movement is in verse 8. Abraham says, no, I don't want it to work that way. If you're willing to let me bury my dead, persuade Ephraim, the son of Zohar, that he would give me the cave of Machpelah. However, both Ephraim and the Hittites reply, telling him, Abraham, just take it. The third movement is seen in verse 13, where Abraham says for the third time in the hearing of Ephraim and the people of the land, but if you will hear me, give I give the price of the field, accept it from me. Abraham is pleading for them to accept that he will purchase the land. And finally, in verse 16, find the land for 400 shekels of silver. Why would Abraham buy a land that will inevitably be his? Just imagine if your grandparents said, hey, I have a beach house in Southern California. And when I die, that beach house will be yours. It would be odd if you say, I'll buy it from you. Why would you buy something that will for sure be yours? Abraham is not being foolish He's investing precisely because he knows it's going to be his. See, it's not that he's buying the entirety of the land, 
But by taking this same illustration, if you know that the house your grandparents, that beach house your grandparents are, are going to give you is for sure going to be yours, and you see that there's a window that needs to be fixed, you invest into the property precisely because you know it's going to be yours. You will fix that window. What gives you motivation to do good to this property that's going to be yours, to upkeep the property, is precisely the fact that it will be yours. So you will buy that window and replace it because you know that you're not spending money, you're investing money. And that's the difference. Investing is always in faith. When you invest into anything, whether it's, mon- it's with money or time, you do it in faith. It's not the same as spending money. When you spend money, you are just giving it away because it's a necessary evil. You have to pay the, 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 the water bill you have because it's a necessary expense for your livelihood. But when you invest money, you are investing in faith that that investment will bring back returns. Abraham is investing in the land that God will give him because he knows that it will for surely be his. It's interesting that Abraham invests. He checks out the ROI, the promise and the promise giver are great. He's saying, I'm in. I know that this will be mine. And because of that, I'm going to seek a burial place for my wife. And if it's interesting, when we observe redemptive history, we are also similar to, we, this is similar to what Jesus spoke about in the Gospel of Matthew, where he says a parable about a person who sees a treasure hidden in a field. And he says that a man finds the treasures, covers it up, then in joy goes, sells everything that he has and buys the treasure because he knows that the reward will be great. Why was he motivated to invest in the field? Because the sure, he was sure that the field was going to be profitable. Why did Abraham invest into the land that was ultimately going to be his? Because he knew that God was going to fulfill his promises. It was guaranteed. He says, because this is mine, I'm going to buy it now. In faith, knowing that the, everything that I see will be for me and my children. Now, if we step back from this chapter and look at the entirety of the Bible, you will notice that there are parallels between the arrival of Isaac as the promised seed and the arrival of Christ as the promised seed. Isaac, as the promised seed, finally arrives for Abraham and Sarah. But it's not for another 400 plus years that the descendants of Abraham finally inherit the land. In other words, after the promised seed arrives, it is always followed by a long road of discipleship before the promised land 
is inherited. Isaac arrives on the scene in Genesis, but it takes until the conquest of Joshua before Abraham's descendants actually inherit the land. And so it is also true with us. We have the ultimate seed, Jesus Christ, who brought about a formal and final redemption. And the seed having come, now we invest into our future inheritance by faith now, even though we won't inherit the land until later. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples were anxious of acquiring the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus says in Acts 1, 6, you, it's, it, the inheritance of the kingdoms of this world aren't for you to give or t- for you to uh, inherit in your own timing. It is not for you to know the times of the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority by which he will give his sons and daughters the inheritance of the new heavens and the new, new earth. That is not given to us. We invest in the future, in our future inheritance, by faith, just as Abraham did. The question is, what are we doing in the intervening time between we receive the, before we receive our final inheritance as we have been promised by God? We have seen God's provision in providing Christ, and in the intervening time, we, like Abraham, have to invest, not in buying land necessarily, but we do invest in our future inheritance. And you say... How? Well, I think Paul gets at this when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, since Christ has been raised and God has fulfilled his promises, my dear, dear friends, stand your crown and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master. Invest into your future inheritance, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time. How do you invest into your future inheritance now in the intervening time before we possess the new heavens and the new earth? We throw ourselves into the work of the master. That is how we invest our, in our, into our future inheritance. And what is it at our disposal that we can invest? Well, one thing is time. Don't spend your time. Invest it. My question to you is, how are you using your time? Are you, spent, are you, are you spending it on things that won't ultimately matter? Or are you investing your time in the age to come? One of the best ways to invest your time is by what we are doing here this morning. Sunday after Sunday, it seems ordinary. It seems like nothing great or exciting is going on, but you are investing into your future inheritance. You are investing your time to be under God's word in beside God's people. Another way to invest your time is by taking moments to study God's word and prayer. 
Don't think of these times as a waste. Think of it as an investment. Remember, investing $25 every week don't seem much. But 25 times four weeks in a month by 12 months in a year times 10% over 30 years is $226,000. It's an investment. Allow God to fortify your faith by investing time to know him and speak with him. Don't spend your time. Invest it. Take time away from your phone or your TV or your tablet or from any sort of entertainment. Make time to invest in other people who are journeying alongside you. Engage in your family devotions. Make sure that you read your catechisms. Make sure that your children are reading their Bibles and their catechisms. Invest into understanding the deep truths of the gospel. Not in a legalistic way, but in a way that you are being intentional, knowing that nothing of, in, of your effort that is invested in the work of the Lord is in vain. Your money Don't spend it. Invest it. Look over your finances and ask, where can I increase in investing into the work of God around in your church and around the world? Isaiah 55, the prophet, gives that warning. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which will not satisfy The encouragement is that we would not be short-sighted like Esau who sold his blessing for a pot of food. He spent what God had graciously given to him. Now here in our text, we we come and encounter Sarah and her death. So it would be foolish to bypass this reality of death. Sarah's earthly destiny will soon be our destiny. It's the way of all mankind. For those who are in Christ, we have an assurance that death is not the end of the story. But as we approach death, we must ask, where are our investments? Where is our energy pointed at in this life? Where are are our treasures? Are our treasures heavenly or are they earthly? Because where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. So I repeat again the words of Paul. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time. We live ordinary lives, lives that are not marked by great excitement, but they're ordinary. And as we live them ordinarily, we live them trusting God and his promises by persevering despite our doubts, by persevering, understanding that we are sojourners and investing by faith in our future inheritance. Let us pray.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the admonition that we receive from it. I pray, Father, that we would, like the forefathers in, of our faith, we would invest. We would know, because Christ reigns currently and presently, we have the motivation to invest in our future because our future is assured. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to think twice about our future inheritance. Our future inheritance is guaranteed. It's more guaranteed than the money in our bank right now. So I pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, help us to persevere day by day and invest into our future inheritance, even now, as Abraham did. We pray, Father, that you would do this by the power of your Spirit, and we entrust that to your care. It is through Christ we pray. Amen and amen.